the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. Apart from being infeasible, dangerous to our energy security, and environmentally damaging, the wind power industry has another devastating impact that is often overlooked. Bird populations are being slaughtered throughout the world from industrial wind farms. Environmentalists are perhaps unaware of the irony of supporting wind turbines. They aren't beneficial for the environment or wildlife, but environmentalists continue to support these atrocities as if, as if they're green energy. Our guest today is Suzanne Albright, who will explore the realities about wind turbines and their effects on bird populations. Suzanne Albright is a founding member of the Great Lakes Wind Truth. She is a member of the Braddock Bay Raptor Research, a volunteer raptor educator, and also a migratory owl surveyor. This organization engages in programs and activities to promote the health and preservation of raptors. Suzanne lives in Greece, New York, along the shores of Lake Ontario, and is a retired family nurse practitioner. So welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thank you. Oh, great. Well, could you tell us about wind farms such as the Altamont Pass in California? I've heard that has had a huge impact on migratory birds. Yes, actually, when you and I first started to talk, I think I referred you to um, over 600,000 links on the web that report avian deaths from wind turbines. And actually, a lot of these were are from reputable organizations like USA Today, Audubon, uh, Stanford, and others. And as you discovered, the variability that they report is wide. And I mean, oh. wide, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, and some um, of it doesn't look particularly trustworthy. <laughs> it's not. It's not. The variability is wide because the science is essentially non-existent, and much of it's even fraudulent. And I'm going to be giving you information that uh, supports that. And the oh. reason, yes, and the reason that's so is because it's typically supplied by the wind developers. They do their own counting and reporting. So how can it be reliable? So I'm not going to waste our time today talking about those numbers. What's important is getting real information and how we use it or to either guide us, to guide our present, to guide our future or not use it. And unfortunately, with with wind energy, we're not using the, the information. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's well known that the industry has managed to evade these death reports and how because they manipulate all the information so they can grow and justify their projects. And, and yeah. That. Well, I heard that in case of a lot of wind farms that they will get around right after dawn and clean up all the birds that have been killed. So the tourists don't see the, the birds as the sun rises. And well, for example, Altamont Pass in California, I read that it kills 116 golden eagles per year. That's, That's incredible. Well, that's certainly one number, but, you know, you can find multiple different numbers of what they kill. And that's mm -hmm. because, again, they do their own reporting, their own counting, <laughs> their own reporting. And so, you know, you're you're at their mercy. Um, 
So, you know, we should we should talk about Aldemont Pass first. I wanted to talk about three different projects, starting from the oldest to the most present. And um, Aldemont Pass certainly is the oldest. So let's everybody wants to know about that one. Um, they are known as the global birthplace of wind energy. And a lot of people don't know that 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 goes back into the early to mid 1980s. And most of us didn't even know about wind energy back then. And they're very proud to say that they were the first big wind farm in the world. And just so you know, I don't typically use the, the term wind farm because mm. it's not farms. But for the sake of just getting through information today, I will. Okay. But I don't believe they're farms. So back in the 1980s, 17,000, that's a lot, 17,000 of these turbines were built in three different mountain passes out in California. Alamont Pass was the largest, and Alamont boasted 6,200 turbines, 6,200 just in their own 26 separate projects. Can you imagine that number? To me, it's like impossible. But they, those turbines back in the mid 80s, uh, they were small by modern comparison, very small. And actually, I don't know if you know much about how much energy wind turbines put out, but they put out about 100 kilowatts or less per turbine. But they were still the largest wind farm in the world back then. Mm-hmm. You said people, tourists, other people uh, would would see these dead birds. So it it became obvious very quickly that birds, primarily there, raptors, were being killed by these turbine blade collisions. And the number that you give is one of many numbers <laughs> that that we have found over the years, but way, way, way back uh, in the mid-1980s with those small turbines, it was uh, estimated that they were killing about 67 gold eagles, for, I have some numbers here, 440 burrowing owls and hundreds of other raptors to total about 1,130 plus other birds. So that the whole total back in 1985 was 2000, over 2,700 birds every year. And this wow. was actually substantiated uh, by a study. And I believe it was done by Alameda County out there. So at that point, that became the most lethal project for birds in the world. Pretty sad. Wow. Yeah, and that's been going on for what, about 40 years? Since 1985, anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, almost 40 years. Yeah. So, so you would end up with 40 times 2,700 birds? Actually, quite a lot more because the bigger turbines they have now kill more birds. Almost oh, yes, certainly. they do. Yes. Um, actually, that's I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, because at one point, and I don't remember the exact year, and I wasn't, I didn't take the time to try and find it, but about at some point, um, 569. Now think about this: 569 of those really small turbines became obsolete, and they were replaced with new ones that were large and efficient for the time, and they were large and efficient enough for each one to replace 15 of the older ones. Oh, wow. That's big. We Mm. thought that was big. Well, guess what's happened since then? 
They're bigger still. <laughs> yes, they are. You're right. <laughs> Literally thousands of the old ones, including those, have been replaced by thousands, replaced by 195 new turbines. Can you imagine that 195 can do more of a job than thousands? Hmm, and yes, yeah. It does sound like a positive thing in some ways. Um, but according to the uh, U.S. Department of Energy, now think about this, because this is an amazing statistic. The length of blades, and when we talk about blade length, we don't refer to one blade, okay? We actually refer to the rotor diameter, that circle that's made by rotating blades, okay? okay. So it's end-to-end -end from one blade across the circle to the end of the other blade. So since 1998... That rotor diameter, according to the Department of Energy, has increased by 645 <laughs> percent. Wow! Since 1998, can you believe and that? It, yeah, and of course the the area swept out would increase as the square of the distance across. Yes. So it would be huge, whatever that is, 3600 or something. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. And they individually then would kill more birds than the small ones, right? Oh, substantially more birds. Um, but the developers, they, they liked to claim that because they're so much taller, that they're safer for birds. Well, mm -hmm. if that was the case, why did they get sued by the Golden Gate Audubon back then with these enormously big blades? That was in 2007. And they were forced to shut the turbines down for a couple of months during winter migration. Mm. Now, do they still do that or do they run as them all year round? Yeah, as far as I know, they still have to do that. And and mm -hmm. yes, that's an improvement. Um, but it's clearly not a solution or we still wouldn't be dealing with their numbers that, as you stated, are growing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, I, I guess, you know, the very fact that they've agreed to close them down because of bird kills tells you that they acknowledge they kill birds. You know, they're not hiding that at this point, are they? They can't possibly hide it. They mm -hmm. can't. Yeah. So, I, I heard that bats are killed at twice the frequency of birds because their lungs burst when they go in the low pressure zone behind, mm -hmm. behind the blade. And a friend of mine actually runs a bat sanctuary. And he loves bats. You know, I'm, not, I'm more fond of birds than bats, but he loves bats. And he points out, of course, they eat a lot of mosquitoes. They're important to the ecosystem. And he says that twice the number of bats are dying than birds. Do you think he's right or is that an exaggeration? No, I, I think that he's probably right. Now, we can't prove it one way or the other. But think yeah. about the fact that as these blades are spinning around, the insects are collecting on them. Right, right. You have millions of insects collecting on the blades. So the bats go after the insects. And mm -hmm, so they're mm -hmm. actually drawn to them. And yeah. then they implode. Well, of course, then you would wonder if it was uh, impinging on the insect population that would be important for pollination. Mm -hmm. Is that a possibility, too, that it may be affecting our important insects for pollination? Of course it is. It, it, it is affecting the entire ecosystem but the but the wind developers they don't want to talk about that mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and and we'll talk more about that when i go on to one of the other projects we're going to talk about and, yeah but you know well, back, back to aldemont when i was telling you that the the blade 
rotor diameter has gone up by 645%. Well, how do they come up with the information then that they're killing birds and bats? Mm -hmm. Well, Well, I guess they probably have to clean them up. (laughs) Well, they do sort of, but what they report is so, so manipulated and dishonest. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if your friend has told you or if you have found out otherwise, but they do their carcass searches, these wind developers and owners, they do them on an interval. And mm-hmm. most of them do them on a 30-day interval. So mm-hmm. once every 30 days, they'll do a bird count for eight hours. Eight hours once a month. It's mm. it. not too much. <laughs> hey, I would imagine that in that time, a lot of birds would be taken away by scavengers like foxes. Oh, of course they have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll also be getting into that when we talk about Wolf Island, because there's mm-hmm. a lot of information about that up there. So do you want to talk more about the Altamont Pass or did you want to say something first about a couple of other farms? Well, I, I do want to finish up a little bit about Altamont Pass, just because with with the searching that's done um, eight hours a day, once a month at best, um, they not only just do it on that interval, but they they search really, really small areas, typically just below the blades and within 50 meters of the, the base of that turbine. And ah. according to research that's been done, that ignores or hides over 90% of strike, strike fatalities, 90%. Yeah. So, so they, would, they would fly away a little bit or at least be thrown away. When they're hit by the blade. Well, they do get thrown away. In fact, the average distance that a carcass travels from a a turbine once it's been hit by a blade is 2.5 to 3 times the length of the blade. Oh, wow. So they're not getting counted. They are getting thrown 2.5 to 3 times. So when you think about these blades that have now gone up 645% in size, now think about the fact that the, the birds are being thrown two and a half to three times the length of that blade. So they're not even anywhere near a, a count area. Yeah. I, I guess also some birds would be fatally damaged, but maybe make it out of the whole wind farm or wind facility before they finally fall dead. So we don't know how many birds, you know, manage to kind of limp out of the area before they die. That's absolutely right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and that happens n- not uncommonly. And, and again, we've seen that at Wolf Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very visible place. So we're going to we're going to get to Wolf Island in just a minute. But and- well, you know, it, it's interesting. You were saying earlier that one of the environmental bird groups, Audubon, actually sued Altamont Pass. And so mm-hmm. that kind of begs the question, why do environmentalists support the Altamont Pass? Why aren't they in- insisting it be closed entirely? They all talk out of both sides of their mouth. Mm. I guess they're also concerned about climate change, and they think that it's going to somehow magically stop the climate from changing. Yeah, I heard that one of the Sierra Clubs, I can't remember which state it was in, but one of the Sierra Clubs has an internal conflict because they have conservationists who hate the wind farms, and then they have climate change people who are pushing them. So as a whole, that particular state Sierra Club doesn't have 
a, a policy on wind farms. Um, so yeah, there's a big internal conflict right there. I would guess that the climate change people, generally speaking, are more powerful in the environmental groups than the conservationists. Is Do you think that's true? I think that that varies according to which project it is, where it is, um, how close it is to a migratory flyway, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, but I will also tell you that, and, and we're going to, um, after we talk about Wolf Island, the, the last um, wind facility I want to talk about is in Ohio, is proposed for Ohio, but it hasn't been built yet. And the fight between the um, developer and the Sierra Club and the American Bird Conservancy and others has been going back and forth for over a decade. So, oh, wow. yeah, there, there is information on that. And again, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. Not only they do, but also the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. And mm -hmm. they're our great government agency that's supposed to be protecting the environment. And they've been fighting some of these projects for decades. But on the other hand, they're not. Well, I'll tell you what they do in just a second, because it's going to really blow your mind, I think. Mm, well, I'll tell you yeah. right now. I, I, can, I can fast forward to that. Yeah. People often ask, how is it that these wind developers get away with killing golden and bald eagles? It's against yeah. the law. We yeah, exactly. All the the um, Bird Treaty Act, which was enacted in 1918, and that made it illegal. It's the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. That made it illegal to kill golden and bald eagles. So why aren't these companies getting fined, sent to prison? Why are they not getting shut down? Do you know the answer to that? Well, it must be because President Biden just visited a wind farm and said that it was the greatest thing since sliced bread and that it was going to help stop climate change. <laughs> well, I did see that. <laughs> But the, the actual reason is because the Fish and Wildlife Service, as I said, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They issue something that's called a take permit. So if you're a wind developer, you can fill out an application to the United States Fish and Wildlife Service to kill gold and golden bald eagles. Wow. And, and so how, how many do you think they'd be allowed to kill typically at a like, do they do it per turbine or for a facility or what do they do? I don't know if there's a formula, but I know that they it, it's a five-year permit. And at the end of five years, you can apply to renew it. So if you or I went out and killed a golden eagle, we'd be charged, right? Yes, we would. But the wind farms can kill hundreds and they're not charged. That's correct. Oh, <laughs> God. And of course, you know, it's crazy that I was going to draw a little bit of a flow chart showing how many bad things are happening because of the climate scare. And this has got to be one of the primary bad things, because, of course, it's so environmentally unfriendly. It's it's worse than that, Tom. It's tragic. It is so heinous that I don't even have words to describe it. Yeah. And, yeah. and people that really care about living things do not mm -hmm. have words to describe it. And yeah. yet wind developers and people that think it's such a wonderful, green, clean thing, they don't care. Mm -hmm. So when you take a step back, do you think that the Alphamont Pass is going to continue to operate as is with killing birds, you know, hundreds of 
about 2700 per year when they started and much more now. Do you think that's going to actually continue or do you see a, an end on the horizon? Well, I do think that for newer pro new projects, um, it's becoming harder to get financing um, mm -hmm. and financial backing. As far as the existing ones, it's again, it's very individualized. You know, as a turbine breaks down, do they have the money? Do they have the backing to replace them? A lot of projects do not. And so mm -hmm. you see them walking away and, and seeing the turbines just rotting and falling apart. And that's the end of it. So mm -hmm. I think the, the climate, when I say the climate, I don't mean the temperature, um, the acceptance or not of this wind as a solution to climate change is starting to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, California, generally speaking, you'd think is a very environmentally conscious place. So, I mean, it's, it's strange to me that you don't have Jane Fonda and all the other celebrities out there protesting against wind farms. Or do we? Do we see celebrities out there trying to get these things shut down? As far as I know, there is no big opposition by well-known mm. people out there. Do you think it's maybe partly because they're so far from the city that maybe they just don't think about them, they don't see them? Or I do you think there's, they think that they're a solution to climate change? I think that they think it's a solution to climate change. Yeah, I, yeah. I you know, it's interesting. I, I've been interviewing a number of people on the whole issue of wind turbines. And one person was pointing out that they changed the climate in the vicinity of the turbine. And, you know, it makes sense if you think about it, because they get the energy to turn by mm -hmm. taking ener energy out of the wind. So they're going to slow the wind down in the vicinity of a, of a turbine facility. And, you know, during the summer when it's really hot, you want that wind. It gives you convective cooling. It's a nice breeze. But apparently in the area of a wind farm, wind turbine facility is what I should call it, uh, they say that it actually makes it seem hotter because it takes away the wind. Have you heard that kind of thing, too? Yes. In fact, it does. It raises the temperature. And I, I don't recall the exact number of degrees. It's not a lot, but it does raise the temperature at the ground level below mm -hmm. wind turbine. And there was a study done in Texas oh, years and years ago that documented that, but nobody wants to pay any attention to that. So uh, Yeah. Well, and did you want to talk about the other wind farms before we talk about what you've done on the Altamont Pass, or do you want to deal with the what you've done part first? No, I, I really haven't done a lot with Altamont Pass, to be honest, um, okay. because the newer wind farms that are closer, we, we've been trying to get them prevented. We've been working really hard at prevention. Um, oh, yeah. We have failed in some cases and we have succeeded in others. Oh. Um, there, are, there are many of us that, that worked hard to try and get um, Wolf Island to not get built. But Yeah. Now, now where is Wolf Island? That is right at the entrance to the St. Lawrence River from the eastern end of Lake Ontario. Oh, okay. All right. So if you're on your boat and you're heading up to the Thousand Islands, you're going to zoom right past Wolf Island. And uh, we've actually done that hundreds of times. And now when we've done that, when, after the wind farm was built, I have to turn my head the other way. I can't force myself to look at it. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So that Wolf Island actually um, was built in 2011, I believe. And okay. it's not a huge island. They put up 86 turbines. But they're they're more modern, so they're big. Mm-hmm. And within one year, the very first year in operation, they actually did a report of birds that were killed, and they counted 1,141 birds, songbirds, 24 raptors, and 1,720 bats. Oh, wow. And this is, of course, probably missing a lot of them because they were thrown too far away. Absolutely. It's an island. So Mm -hmm. they were thrown, and where do you think they were thrown? Into the river. Correct. The lake and the river. There'd be no way to count them. But that that resulted in so much public outcry because people up there love the environment. They love their birds, you know, everything about it. It's an island, okay? Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, the Canadian Ministry of Natural Resources mandated that they do new management procedures to reduce those impacts. Okay. But so, they, they didn't close them, though. No, they did not. They're still there. Huh. But, uh-huh. but the following year, after they were told to reduce the numbers, the numbers were greatly reduced. Yeah, well, that's good. That's a step in the right direction. Tom, how do you think they did that? They probably just didn't run them for part of the year. <laughs> Wait till I tell you how they did that. Okay. <laughs> they did nothing except they changed how they reported the deaths ah it was lying it was lying Mm -hmm. manipulation they 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 reduced the counting to the area just below the diameter actually shorter than the diameter of the blades okay they reduced it to 50 meters and that is shorter than that rotor blade diameter 50 meters Mm -hmm. they even allowed their searchers to exclude counting any carcass outside that tiny search area, even if they saw them. Oh, if you're standing there and five feet away from you, there's there's bleeding dead birds. You don't have to count them because they're not in the defined counting area. Wasn't that convenient? Right? How many birds fall just fall directly to the ground? Well, probably not. They'd probably fall and then be thrown some distance because the turbine, I think the tip speed is pretty high, eh? like around 100 meters or miles an hour. Yes. Yeah. So So anything hitting the blade would be thrown at a large distance, you know? And yeah, so is there any hope of getting turbine farms, which is the wrong term, as you said, but is there any hope of getting them closed after they're operating? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. How much money goes into to building these things? They've got to get some return on their money. They're they're not yeah. going to stop them. And they've been given permits. They've been given take permits. They they're given permits to do whatever. Everybody that issues the permits knows exactly what's happening. So they're not yeah. going to turn around and shut them down. So, Is there any advantage to having either a Republican or a Democrat uh, government in the vicinity, or do they both do it? Do they both give these permits? I think they both do it. I know they both do it. I don't know. I can't speak for Canada as much. Um, 
although I just told you what happened up there, and they've been al- allowed to get away with this manipulation. Um, oh, so Wolf Island is in the Canadian jurisdiction. Yes, it is. It's a Canadian. Yeah. And actually, when um, some scientists went up there, some wildlife scientists, and they did their own count and found that what they did is instead of counting that 50 meter area below the blades, they expanded the count area to 200 meters. And they well, did that's better. Yeah, six months they did that. And they more than doubled the the count by the developer. More than yeah, doubled. Yeah, for sure. We have to go for a break now. Suzanne Albright is my guest today. She's a founding member of Great Lakes Wind Truth and currently a member of the Braddock Bay Raptor Research, a volunteer raptor educator, and also a migratory owl surveyor. We'll be right back after the break. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Well, the Out Loud Truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news 
was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. I'm back with Suzanne Albright. She's actually a member of the Braddock Bay Raptor Research. She's a volunteer raptor educator and also a migratory owl surveyor. So can you tell me, Suzanne, I mean, this is an island, so there must be lots of, you know, migratory ducks and things like that in the area. Yes, there are. There are geese. There are many, many flocks of geese, ducks, and swans that fly over Wolf Island. And the people that live there have actually recorded on their video recorders and on their phones entire flocks of different waterfowl flying right into the turbines and entire flocks being slaughtered. Oh, but wow. They're, they're not included in the count. It's a bird yeah. count. It's not a waterfowl count. Yeah. I have some friends that are animal rights activists. And as far mm-hmm. as I know, they're not really looking at this. I mean, they look at you know, domesticated animals. But I mean, I think they really should look at this, don't you? Oh, for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't account for what people do and don't do other than those of us that oppose these wind turbine farms. And the people that don't oppose them, they have to speak for themselves. And you have to wonder if this has been going on since 1985. Look where we are now. Yeah. Okay. And, and I presume that some birds wouldn't be killed instantly either. They might die a pretty terrible death over a period of perhaps a day because they could be bleeding and, you know, partially cut and not, not having, you know, lost their lives immediately. So, I mean, there, there'd be a lot of suffering going on too. There's an incredible amount of suffering. If they don't get their heads chopped off, if they don't get cut in half, they might just have a wing broken and they lay there and die in pain and bleed. Yeah. So yeah, I guess they're, they're then, of course, uh, very vulnerable to, you know, other animals killing them, too, because they're weakened and they've lost blood, et cetera. So, I mean, this is a, this is a mass slaughter, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. There's, there's one this there's one more project that I, I hope we'll have time to talk about, because this is one that I've personally been fighting since it was introduced back in 2010. Um the the full name is Lake Erie Energy Development Corporation or LEADCO for short. Okay. And this is a six, only six, a six turbine, what's called a demonstration project. And it's been proposed for Lake Erie, in Lake Erie. And it would be the first freshwater wind farm in the United States. Mm. Okay. Well, as I said, it hasn't been constructed yet, but the history of this is so crucial to the discussion of birds that it's worth talking about as much as Aldemont Pass even. So this six turbine project would be offshore of Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And they wanted, they call it a demonstration project. They want to put these six turbines up to demonstrate that up to a thousand of these monstrous turbines could turn that entire lake into an industrial wind facility. Oh, wow. So, And I guess there'd, there'd be a lot of birds that don't just fly around the lake, they'd fly across it, right? 
Yes, and I'm going to share those numbers with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Pull them up just so people could understand how severely impacted the avian population would be and what it would do to that to this lake. Oh, yeah. And not only has the opposition to this project come from the United States, but of course, it's come from Canada. You're you're you are on Lake Erie as well. So this Mm -hmm. is international lake. And even though it would be in United States waters, water isn't stationary and neither are birds. Mm -hmm. So what's happened with that? Well, here we are um, 13 years after it was proposed near the end of 2023. There have been two failed lawsuits to try and stop it failed. Okay. Mm. At this point, the project 13 years out still has all of the necessary permits. So the lawsuits have failed. They've got all their permits, but it hasn't been built. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been canceled either. But most of us believe that by all accounts, they're broke. Mm. Um, well, that, that's good news. <laughs> yes, it is. We're hopeful. But mm-hmm. what happened back then is that um, the even the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, who talks out of both sides of their mouth, submitted information to try and stop this project. And if I could, I just want to read a couple sentences from what they wrote. Okay. Um, they submitted in response to this proposal, stating that during the winter, flocks of 10,000 birds are not uncommon over the lake flocks of 10,000. And even LEADCO, who did a bogus environmental assessment, reported that between 4 and 13% of migrating birds fly within the height of those turbine rotors that they're proposing. Mm -hmm. At 10 to hundreds of millions of birds, they recognize this, migrate over Lake Erie. So think of 13% of 10 to hundreds of million birds. Yeah, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of birds flying within the range of being hit by the turbine. Well, you're talking about millions. Mm. Okay. Well, so the Fish and Wildlife, Wildlife Service responded to that. And they said that based on those numbers, that between 400,000 and 13 million songbirds fly at that rotor-swept height when they're flying over Lake Erie. Okay. Okay. I mean, that includes a vast number of both birds and bats, including some endangered bat species. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, it's interesting because I heard President Trump, when he was president, say that turbines were killing lots of bird species and it's interesting because the fact checkers on the internet immediately got on and said that he was all full of hot air but he was right isn't he i mean they are a really serious threat so i mean it's been known for decades yeah so i mean are there groups that are opposing this this particular farm for example that is being you know discussed in over lake erie oh yes there have been so many people so many groups 
that have written a multitude of letters. And we've written to the Fish and Wildlife Service, to the U.S. Department of the Interior, the U.S. Department of Energy. We've written to multiple legislators. We've written to the Audubon. We've written to the site, the Ohio Power Siting Board, who are the ones that issue the permits. We've written to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources and more. We've done mm-hmm. interviews. We've published. You know, we, we've engaged so many different groups over the years since this thing was initially proposed. And the only thing we ever get back from people is lip service, if anything. Most of the time, yeah. we don't get anything back. But well, it sounds yeah. it sounds like you you need a very high profile, famous person to stand up for your cause. At one point, Paul McCartney was supporting the animal rights people. I don't know if he still does, but I mean. That sounds like it would be a real draw to get people to pay more attention, to get some high level, very famous person to say this is a tra- this is a slaughter, a mass slaughter. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it would be great to have some famous person speaking out about this. Don't you think it's pretty sad that that's what people would respond to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so for listeners. I mean, can they help? Can they contribute to contacting their elected representatives and saying, no, we don't want the whole bloody lake covered with turbines? Yes. The more people that that reach out, the more people that get involved in any cause, whether it's this cause or anything else, mm-hmm. get it, that's where you get your attention. Yeah, okay? yeah. Well, this project hasn't been built. Yeah, well, they, we have a pause right now. I imagine they're trying to get funding so they can continue it. So it's actually an ideal time for people to be writing and calling into talk shows and saying, hey, did you hear about this? You know, it's temporarily paused. This is a great time to kill it before it gets even partially built as a test facility. So the, so, so that those initial, what was it you said, six turbines? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. so that initial six turbines, they haven't even been built yet. No, no, it's it's paused. It is significantly stalled. Uh-huh. Um, oh, and something that happened to them, I, I just I just remembered. This is important. When the U.S. Department of Energy, who was paying for a lot of it, uh, what they did was set up milestones. So, in order to get funding, the milestones had to be met. Then they'd get more funding. Then another milestone, and then more funding. Well, they failed to meet many of the milestones that were imposed by the Department of Energy. And so we're we're wondering if that's one of the reasons that they're running out of money. Ah, oh. yeah. So we have 50,000 listeners per show, typically. If one in 10 people sent an email or a letter or a phone call to their elected representatives, that, yeah, man, that would be 5,000 people making contact. And, and it sounds to me like who should they contact, actually, federal or state, or what should they contact? Well, it depends on where they they live. I don't know the political uh, setup of Canada, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, but for for the Lake Erie project, yes. But any anybody that has any jurisdiction to the lake, including in Toronto, um, and you know Sherry Lang. And oh yeah, she's in the Toronto area, and she and I have worked on multiple projects together over the decades, uh-huh. and. She is a person who would be a great asset to help with helping people to know who to write to, et cetera. So, yes. Yeah. 
Well, I'll contact her then. And then when the when this interview goes to podcast on Monday, it'll be broadcast uh, live stream, so to speak, on Saturday and Sunday at 8 p.m. But on Monday, I'll have a nice descriptor up. And I'll by then, I'll have gotten some information from Sherry as to who people should write to. Because, you know, as I say, if one in 10 people listening to this sends a quick email, you know, it doesn't have to be long or anything, uh, to their elected representative or whoever Sherry recommends, you know, that would be 5,000 people speaking out. So it's really worth doing. Yes, they need to hear from people in Canada because mm-hmm. this is their water. These are their birds, just like it belongs to us. Yeah, okay. yeah. And we should ask our elected representatives when they meet with American representatives, hey, bring up the bird issue. Like, what's going on? You know, we don't want those turbines. So even if the farm is based in the United States, it's still something that Canadians can help put pressure on and bring attention to the way we're doing right now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when, you, and when you think about it, Tom, here we are decades into this worldwide killing decades. Mm-hmm. What's gotten better? Yeah. And, and as you're describing, I mean, this slaughter involves birds, wings being cut off, their heads being cut off, cut in half, you know, cut badly enough that they die eventually at some remote location. I mean, this is really gruesome, isn't it? Yes, it is. How yeah, come I heard. Don't care. Yeah, it, it's so crazy because I hear that various bird populations are at risk due to all kinds of environmental factors, but you rarely hear about it with regards to wind turbines. You know, they, they keep saying climate change of one degree is going to kill all these birds, but they don't tell you that one of the main so-called solutions to climate change is really legitimately killing lots of birds. So, I mean, if they're concerned about birds, the last thing they should be doing is promoting wind turbines. That's correct. An interesting thing happened almost three weeks ago. Mm. And you and I had already decided by the time I saw this that I was going to be talking with you. And so it was coincidental that all of a sudden, and again, one of the agencies that talks out of both sides of their mouth, the American Bird Conservancy, uh, for short, we call them ABC. Mm -hmm. This happened on November 15th. It just happened. They filed a petition with the Fish and Wildlife Service um, requesting that a threatened or endangered listing for golden eagles would be enacted here on the East Coast. And the reason for that is people never associated golden eagles with the East Coast. They only think of Aldermont Pass. Mm -hmm. We have golden eagles. There, there is a, a subspecies of golden eagles that migrates along the entire range uh, along the East Coast. They go from Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, up through the mid-Atlantic and into Canada. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're being slaughtered. So mm-hmm. again, this is almost it's sad. It would be funny if it wasn't so sad. They have mm-hmm. the ABC has asked the Fish and Wildlife Service through a petition to call them threatened or endangered. Okay. So they would be protected under that Endangered Species Act. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> they said that, you know, this is a quote. Wind energy development is a growing problem for Eastern Golden Eagles. Energy infrastructure that's not properly planned and sited along their migratory path has the potential to cause population declines. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. 
But I think that the way they stated that is almost funny because number one, to properly plan them along a migratory path, you can't, that's an oxymoron. Yeah, that's ridiculous. If, it, if you're prop, yeah, if you're properly planning, you don't put them on a migratory, migratory path. path. Number <laughs> one and number two, to say that this that it's causing population declines. What are they implying here that they're not laying eggs? No, they're being slaughtered. Yeah, I don't. And, and you know, I heard from one engineer that they put the turbines in the migratory paths because that's where most of the wind is. And of course, that's why the birds choose those paths. That's so, absolutely right. So, I mean, if you were to move the turbines to areas that were out of the migratory path, then there's probably not enough wind. So there's no point in having the wind turbines. <laughs> there is no point. I wish somebody yeah. could tell me what the point is. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, so often when I drive by a wind, wind facility, I won't call it a farm, like you suggest, uh, I see turbines turning when there's no wind. I understand what they do is they actually draw power from the grid to keep themselves turning if, in fact, there's no wind for a few days so that, you know, they don't seize, so so they keep moving. That's so. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, so one other, you know, we only have, let's see, I guess about eight minutes left. Can you tell us about Braddock Bay Raptor Research? I mean, I what is that? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what do they do? <laughs> it's a volunteer agency, and we have a president who is so committed to saving, to enhancing raptors, and we live right here along i don't know if you're familiar with the name the names of the migratory flyways in north america no but i'm not i'm sitting under one right now it's called the central flyway central migratory flyway and it's a part of it runs right along the shoreline of lake ontario right here on the south shore okay and I'm sitting here at my desk looking out the window at the lake right now. It's in my backyard. I live right on the shore. And if I look up during migration, the sky is totally black with raptors and other birds, and primarily raptors, because they're migrating along the central migratory flyway. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. So Braddock Bay is a couple of miles west of here, right along, right on the lake. And um, the bay empties out into the lake. And so that's under right under the migratory, central migratory flyway. And so Braddock Bay Raptor Research, named after Braddock Bay, is where we do a lot of our, um, we have a, a hawk watch there where our counters come. And on a daily basis during spring migration, they actually count migratory raptors and they've some years count as many as between 50 and 60,000 oh. in a migratory season over 90 days. And people, there's, there's a, a wind farm developer who actually tried to put a wind farm up right in this migratory flyway. Oh, wow. And it took us years and we got it defeated. Why should it take years? I mean, they should never be allowed to even consider it. Like the government's pretty negligent on this in that way. I mean, surely the government should have no no wind turbine zones where mm -hmm. you can't put them. I guess the trouble is if they had too many of those, they wouldn't have anywhere to put them because, as I said earlier, they put them in the areas that are windy, which are 
migratory sure. areas. So, so is that when am I right when I say that the migratory areas are typically windy? Because yeah. is that right when I say yes. that? Yes, mm-hmm. mountain tops. Okay, mm-hmm. um, that's a prime place to put them because it's windier when you go up higher. Okay, so mountain tops, um, and of course the migratory flyways because of the wind. And this central migratory flyway, as I just told you, with as much as 50,000 during a migratory season flying through here, would be an excellent place if if somebody was able to do that. But again, uh, we fought that one tooth and nail, and it took years, but it was finally withdrawn last year. Thank God. Yes. And so the name of the um, developer is Apex. It's an oxymoron. Apex Clean Energy. Oh, yeah. Uh, So we actually even did a debate with them one time at a local community college, and we won that debate. I was one of the debaters. And and they just we had better information. We had more information. We could prove that this was going to have an enormous negative impact on the avian population that migrates through here. How could anyone possibly even consider wanting to do something so heinous and evil? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's very much like 1984. They call it, you know, the media are constantly calling green, green energy or clean energy or environmentally friendly. It's the exact opposite. I yes. mean, people that really think should realize that wind farms put in migratory bird lanes, which is where they want to put them because of the wind, it's crazy. But, you know, one question I have, and this is more of a, you know, raptor educator type question, and since that's what you are, uh, do the birds actually detect somehow where the windy areas are, and do they learn after a while where they should follow? They are, they have such amazing instinct. And And the reason they fly this route is because they're on their way in the spring to either the Adirondack Mountains or over to Canada for nesting and mating, okay? Mm-hmm. However, they can't cross the lake. It's too far. Mm-hmm. So they have to fly along the shoreline till they can get to a place where they can either cross or head into the Adirondack Mountains, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's windy, but it also gets them where they need to go. So so, so what, what it boils down to is they look for windy areas because, you know, in the direction they're going, because it saves energy and they're flying. Um, and that's where they're putting the damn wind turbines. <laughs> Jeez. It's, so it, it really, the two are incons- inconsistent, aren't they? I mean, if you can't have bird protection and, you know, preservation of raptors and things like that. You can't have that and have wind turbines because the two are just directly conflicting. That's correct. And and that brings up one point that I have time, if I have time. Yeah. When Aldemont Pass said that they would they were going to put these significantly taller turbines because the, one of the things that was happening is that the birds were being slaughtered at a lower level of the older obsolete turbines, that when they put them way up high, that the the birds would probably not be killed in such great numbers. One of the questions I had, and and I never found any answer to it, and there may not be one, is has anybody considered adaptation? Because if you think about it, wildlife is very good at adapting to different environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Um, 
where they need to go to find food, to mate. Um, owls, for example, have to find their nocturnals. So they have to find places to conceal during the day so they can sleep without getting killed. So when they made these, before they had a chance to put up these great big taller turbines in Aldemont Pass, did anybody ask the question, did the raptors learn how to adapt by flying higher to avoid the turbine blades just so that the developers could put taller turbines? Mm, yeah, put them right in the way. So yeah. I don't know the answer to that, but it's certainly a question that should have been asked. Uh-huh. I had one last question, and we only have a few seconds to go, so this will have to be the last one, unfortunately. Will you come back, first of all, for another interview sometime in the future? I would do that. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, my last question is this. You know, they say that, you know, cats kill more birds than wind turbines, but I've never seen a cat kill a go golden eagle or a raptor. I mean, it could be the other way around. So, it I mean, that's the other that, way around. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that argument is a dumb argument, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, my guest today has been Suzanne Albright, founding member of Great Lakes Wind Truth. And we were just talking about the Braddock Bay Raptor Research. And uh, she's a volunteer raptor educator there and also a migratory owl surveyor. So she's an ideal person, a bird lover and a bird knowledgeable person to talk about the impact of wind turbines. My God, it's pretty awful. So I'm encouraging listeners to take a look at the Monday write-up on this interview and write to your representatives. I'll put some lists to the people that you should write to that I get from Sherry Lang. So thanks again for your time, Suzanne. It was my pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Okay. Well, this is Tom Harris and my guest, Suzanne Albright, signing out from the other side of the story. <laughs>